Thanks so much for those Bible readings and thanks too for that very, very warm welcome and I do look forward to chatting uh, with any of you after the service this morning about anything to do with the college uh, or anything to do with the Word of God actually. We're looking at Psalm 110 and I've been um, uh, invited to come twice, uh, which is very brave of Kieran actually. Uh, but anyway, um, and the next time I'm coming in August, we'll look at the other part of Psalm 110. So we're just looking at the first three verses today. Psalm 110 is broken into two. Uh, the way that our Bibles in our pews have set it out sort of doesn't quite get that across. But verses 1 to 3 and then 4 to 7, they both begin with a quotation of God's own words Uh, that David is reciting, and they're both in inverted commas. Um, Today I have three main headings. The first one will be the longest, and it is, we're talking here about the supremacy of the sun. Psalm 110, the most quoted psalm in the New Testament by some mileage, testifies there that this psalm, with all of its strangeness to us and our modern ears, is actually all about Jesus and his work. Okay? So we move from a New Testament perspective as Christians to understand the Old Testament Christianly. We don't come to the Old Testament as those who have no understanding of Christ for all scripture testifies to Jesus Christ. So what we're always wanting to do when we come to the Old Testament is, what is it that this passage is teaching me about Jesus Christ in the light of the gospel which is fully revealed in the New Testament? And so the first thing I think this is talking about is the supremacy of the Son. Uh, Did you notice the first uh, verse there? Uh, which uh, does not begin with the Lord says to my Lord. That's what the English Bibles have done. Uh, The little one actually belongs back in uh, just below Psalm 110, the bit in italics. The bit in italics is actually the word of God. So verse 1 is actually of David a psalm The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. That's an important step which Jesus will latch on to as we will see in a few moments. But what verse 1 tells me straight up is that this is is a conversation with three parties involved. There's David, there's the L O R D in capital letters and in the Old Testament that's a way of referring to the name that God gave Israel by which they alone could speak to him the covenant name we think is Yahweh that's not that important but then there's a third figure that David speaks about as my Lord so David is is referring to the Lord capital L-O-R-D says to my Lord So there's three figures. There's David, there's the Lord, and there's David's Lord. 
What's going on? Well, what's happening here is that David is overhearing a conversation between the Lord and David's Lord. And the conversation is an invitation, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Now to sit at someone's right hand is to be given a position of ultimate authority and also intimate closeness. Uh, We have that phrase in our own language, although we don't tend to use it very much these days. Uh, If I was working with Kieran closely, I'd say, oh, Kieran's my right-hand man, which in our parlance is to say, I trust him and I confide in him. I rely upon him and I'm close to him. That's a small way of describing the relationship here so that the Lord is, so to speak, inviting David's Lord to share his authority in intimate closeness. But exactly who David's Lord was, was a mystery for a thousand years. Uh, If you come with me over to Matthew chapter 22. This is exceptionally plain here. So in Matthew 22, uh, verse 41... Now, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them this question. They've been asking him questions. Now, he turns it around and asks them a question right at the end of this conversation he's been having with them. Uh, What do you think of the Messiah, the Christ? Whose son is he? Now, that's that's a bit of a golden question and had been for many years. Uh, They respond... The son of David. And, and Jesus says, well, that's, that's a reasonable guess, but not quite. Verse 43, how is it then that David, by the Spirit, calls him Lord? That is, his son. Because that's what it says in Psalm 110, the Lord said to my Lord, etc., If David, verse 45, calls him Lord, how can he be his son? It doesn't make sense. Uh, You've got to love Bible 101 with Jesus. It's great stuff. Just use logic and see where you get to. Yes, says Jesus, David's son's the Messiah, the Christ, the heir of the Davidic line, but he must be more than that because David calls him Lord. No father here today would call their son or grandson or great-grandson master. It'd be strange, but that's exactly what David is doing in Psalm 110. You see, the Jewish leaders and the Jewish people were expecting God to raise up a Messiah to establish a kingdom on earth, to smash the enemies and make them the rulers of the world, to get rid of suffering and evil and all the things that we're struggling with. And Jesus' audience really thinks that the the enemies in their time are the Romans and if we could get those guys out and our blokes in charge, kingdom of God would come. But that 
is an approach that deals not with causes but with symptoms because if you just replaced your blokes or people with my blokes or people, they're still just people. See, Psalm 110, it, it starts halfway through. What we're not told is what happens before the Lord invites David's Lord to sit at his right hand. There's a backstory which Psalm 110 doesn't give us that we need to get. And we get it in Acts chapter 2, the passage that was read out for us. So a thousand years after David spoke Psalm 110 and people thought they knew what it meant, finally we get to its meaning as Peter puts the dots all together. Acts chapter 2, summary. Peter says, stands up, and after some very strange things had happened, and says, this is actually what's going on. Uh, It's actually the spirit that Jesus has poured out, and how can Jesus pour out his spirit? In other words, how can Jesus introduce the last days? It's because uh, he's the one who fulfills all of God's promises and plans. He's the one who was handed over to death by God's foreknowledge, whom God raised from the dead, who freed him from the agony and the pains of death. And David spoke about that one in Psalm Psalm 16. David knew in Psalm 16 that it wasn't about David because David knew, and we all know, that, that David would be in the grave and his bones are still with us. So it's not about David. Who was it about? Verse 31. Foreseeing this, David spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, saying, He was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh experience corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that were all witnesses, being exalted to the right hand of God, having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured it out. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself said, Psalm 110, verse 1. Therefore, let the whole house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus, the one you crucified, Lord and Christ. Jesus seated at God's right hand is not just another stage in God's plans and purposes. It's the climax. It means that he has conquered the mega enemies of death and power and sin. Uh, Billy Graham was uh, asked to do a TED talk uh, late 80s, early 90s, I think it was. It might have been the late 90s. I think I said 88. I think it was 98, and he was 88 anyway. And uh, he'd listened to all these people give their fascinating presentations about technology, engineering and design and very cool stuff. And he got up, I, I don't know how he got a gig, but he got up and he said to all of these very intelligent, smart people in, I think it was San Francisco, he said, I would really love the TED Talk people to come and do some sessions for me to deal with the causes, with the big issues 
that we're dealing with today. Not the symptoms. COVID's a symptom. It's not a cause. What's the cause? Can we deal with that? The cause of suffering, he said. These are the three things. I want people to deal with the cause of suffering and death and evil. Well, of course, they would never do that. I don't think he was invited back the next year. But here's the, here's, here's the thing. Here's the takeout. The supremacy of Jesus' position at God's right hand demonstrates the sufficiency of his conquest of the enemies that dominate us. That's Peter's point in Acts 2. That death and evil and suffering have met their match. And if you belong to Jesus, then there's no power in heaven above, on the earth beneath, or under the earth, that can contradict that. To put it in understandable parlance, it's a done deal. It's over. They're destroyed. That's what him sitting at God's right hand means. There's no more steps apart from him winding it all up. It's done. Now maybe things are not going the way you want them to at the moment. And maybe the things that you're wanting to go your way at the moment are actually the things that you should want to go your way at the moment and they're still not going the way you want to at the moment. Maybe that's, maybe that's you. Maybe it's health. Uh, maybe it's family. Maybe it's work. Um, and you're going to bed with a heavy heart or maybe people who you love are going to bed with a heavy heart. What are you going to do? If, if this is true, what are you going to do? Well, here's what you're going to do. Tomorrow morning when you wake up and you've worked out that Jesus did not return overnight, you're going to get up, you're going to sit on the edge of your bed and you're going to ask yourself these questions. Number one, is Jesus in charge of everything or not? Is he seated at God's right hand or not? Is he bringing, is God bringing all of his enemies under the feet of Jesus or not? And the answer you'll give yourself based on what we're looking at here in Psalm 110 is, yes he is. He is doing that. That is taking place. So what do you do? Well, you'll get up. You'll read your Bible, you'll say your prayers, you'll have your breakfast, you'll brush your teeth and you'll get on with your day. And I'll get on with my day because he is at the right hand of God. You won't be overcome. You won't be frightened by the next news bulletin. You will know that he has conquered every single enemy that can harm you. You won't be fearful. 
because he's at the right hand of God, because his death is sufficient for you, because his resurrection conquered the grave and because he's seated at God's right hand and he's poured out his spirit and you actually do experience and know his comfort, his grace, his presence and his strength. And the question is, do you believe it? Do I believe it? Because in the back of our minds, the back of our minds, and right now it's rising up at the back of your mind, you're going to be your saying, but. But what about this? And what about my granddaughter? And what about me? And what about, and what about, and what about, and what about? Come back to Psalm 110 with me for a minute. Look at verse 1 again. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand. Here's a very important word coming up. Until I make your enemies your footstool. We now live in the land of until. It's taking place. It will happen. Victory has been proclaimed. The enemies are actually now being rounded up. We're not there yet. But it is taking place because of what has happened to Jesus. But this raises another question, which brings us to our second point, is how are the enemies being rounded up? What's the means by which this is taking place? Verse 2. The Lord sends out from Zion your mighty scepter, rule in the midst of your enemies or your foes. Now, any fan of the royal family will know that there are three symbols of authority. There's the crown, there's the orb, and there's the scepter. The scepter or rod symbolises the rule of a monarch. In this psalm, the scepter or rod is extended, sent out, literally I think it should say extended from Zion, from Jerusalem, as the kingdom of Christ is being extended and the enemies are being rounded up. But here's a question which I, I, I struggled with for many, many years and could never find an answer to in any commentary I looked at, and it's this. What is the scepter? And how is this scepter being sent forth? It's in the present tense. He's sending it out. It's still going out. And my brain hurt. Commentaries were useless. So whenever that happens and you can't work something out in the Bible, what you do is you, you, you look at the Bible again. And so I looked at the Bible again. And then it came to me that the scepter is verse 1. The scepter, the, the, the instrument of rule, is God's pronouncement in verse 1. That is being spoken out. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. For what is it that is taking place? It's the gospel. 
The scepter is the message of the gospel. And the extending of the scepter is the preaching of the gospel. For isn't that exactly what takes place on the day of Pentecost? How is it that 3,000 people come under the feet, so to speak, who submit to Jesus Christ? Enemies became friends on that day. It was as Peter, Peter spoke the gospel. And friends, it hasn't stopped. Why, do you know, the gospel has even reached Perth and Golly, I hear it's rich Cottesloe. And isn't that what God's doing right now? Isn't that what's taking place at this very minute? Isn't the Holy Spirit bringing us the gospel from his word this morning? If he's not, tell me. I need to know. That's what's taking place. And it's happening in lots of churches in Perth and lots of other places and and in places that are not churches, in countries where they can't have churches, it's happening there too. And the gospel is spreading out and the reign of Christ is extending out over the nations. And it could be that today, and you can guarantee the rain falls when I really want to say something very important and it's this, so listen up. It could be today that that's you. That you've actually realised that you have never seen that before, that that, that reign of Christ, that, that Jesus' rule is bringing you to his feet. And I encourage you today not to put that off. I encourage you today not just to deal with the symptoms, not just with the things that are on the surface, but with the causes, the things that are underneath. And only Jesus Christ can deal with those things. Turn to him. So, we're coming to the end. It's close. Don't worry. God has seated Jesus Christ at his right hand. He's in a position of supremacy. Because he is supreme, his work is sufficient for us. We have no doubt about that. That his reign is being extended as the gospel is being, is being preached and spoken out, not just from pulpits, but in our houses and conversations, in our classrooms and other places. Now we've got one more question to ask and it's this, how? How is this news being proclaimed? Because Peter is not with us anymore. And the answer is in verse 3. Your people will offer themselves willingly on the day you lead your forces on the holy mountains. From the womb of the morning, like dew, your youth will come to you. That's a very interesting verse. And if you have your uh, reading glasses on, you'll see that there are actually footnotes in two of those verses. And there are alternate translations that they're giving us. And my hunch is that actually when they do that in the NRSV, the footnote's actually the better translation. So what's it talking about? Who are these people? Are these kind of, you know, crack heavenly paratroopers, angelic SAS, you know, kind of like gun Christians? No. Have a close look. Your people, 
Not your angels, not your crack paratroopers, not your super-duper Christians, your whole people are brought to your side, says the psalm. Why, this is just talking about you and me, the ordinary members of a local church. And what is it saying about us, to encourage us? Saying three things, I think. First of all, it's saying that we are those who offer ourselves willingly to him. We give ourselves willingly to him because he has given himself willingly to us. Freely you have received, freely give. We live lives of thankfulness to God. We owe him everything, he owes us nothing. Two, uh, we're dressed in holy Garments. I don't think holy mountains is actually what it's about. These are the people who are cleansed by the blood of Christ and are now engaged in holy work. Bringing the good news to others is holy work. Yet indeed many people in our society are appalled at what we believe. It's true. But but we're dealing with holy things. Things that disgust others are precious to us. The word of God is precious to us. To them, we stink. To God, we're an aroma of life. Third of all, we're those who emerge from the womb of the morning. This is maybe the strangest part, but here's my best thought on it. These people are those who are born from above, who are anointed with the Spirit, who don't flag in opposition, who get up each day and go about what it is that God would have them do. We belong to a risen and powerful Lord. We've been enlisted as his ambassadors. We've nothing to be afraid of. You say, well, Don, you know, that's easy for you. You know, you stand out the front and you preach in churches and, you know, you're a principal of a theological college. Don't make it so grand, by the way. Um, It's it's a great privilege. It's easy for you. No, it's not, actually. By nature, I'm introverted. By nature, I am. I need to find ways of bringing the gospel to others in the way that suits me best. The way that suits me best is times like this, where I've got lots of people, or I have one person. And my favourite one-person opportunity to bring the gospel to other people is my Uber driver trips. I love the Uber driver. They're precious to me because they all come from different cultures than me. And so once I get going and he asks me, I love them. They say, they're, they're trained, right? They say, and how is your day, sir? Sir, <laughs> feeling good already. And so we start to talk and we chat. And then I say, I hear an accent in your speech. Where is that accent from? I never say, oh, what country are you from, mate? I say, where's that accent from? 
I admire that. I love accents. He says, oh, sir, and this particular driver, I've used this many times, one said, oh, uh, it's, it's, it's from Pakistan. Ahmed, okay, interesting, interesting. And what part of Pakistan is that you're from? And so I get right down close. I say, is it in the northern region or the southern region? He says, yeah. I say, we get closer and closer. Is it in a village? He says, well, it is actually. It's a village name of such and such. I say, is there a, is there a local dish, a local meal that, that is part of that village that you would really love to have right now? He says, oh, yes, sir. And you tell me about some, you know, barani or some meat dish or whatever. I says, well, can I get that in Perth, <laughs> I say. And he says, yes, there's a good restaurant in such and such. I'll write that down as well. Get a lot of good restaurant uh, tips from Uber drivers. And I say, last question, I say, is this, is this meal connected with your faith, your beliefs in some way? And after we've talked about that, and we've talked about their faith a bit, eventually I say, are you a religious person, sir? And I say, it just so happens I am. And we can have a conversation. Now, I need 20 minutes to have that conversation, so I don't mind if they take the wrong route. <laughs> it's a great privilege. It's a great joy. I've extended my time beyond what is normal. I crave your forgiveness for that. But I pray that today you'll have the confidence, the courage, the knowledge that nothing can harm you, that the Lord Jesus Christ is equipping his people and has equipped them to join with him as he announces his gospel through us and that he is actually bringing the nations and even this nation under his feet through that gospel. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, please speak to us today. Please warm and strengthen our hearts and move our hands as we reflect with the minds that you've given us upon the words that you've inspired by your spirit and we ask it for Christ's sake. Amen.